Hey everyone, Ben here with a quick interruption before we get into today's episode to let you know that we have been nominated for a Sports Podcast Award. Yippee! That is very, very exciting. We are actually incredibly honoured and excited to have that nominee. And you, the listener, yes, the very person that is listening to this right now can help us win a Sports Podcast Award and get us on the podium for once rather than always being off the podium. To do so, head to sportspodcastawards.com. Dot com, register to vote, click on the Best Olympic and Paralympic Podcast category where you can then vote for us to win. Now, you will have to listen to the other nominees as well, but let's be honest, you know you're going to vote for us because you're listening to our show today, which means we know you like us and we'd very much appreciate the vote in advance. Sportspodcastawards.com, that's how you do it, and we thank you in advance. And everybody who votes for us, we promise to thank you in our acceptance speech should we win. Right now, I'm going to shut up, play some music, and then you're going to hear me talk again as we get into today's episode of Off the Podium. Enjoy. podcast coming to you today once again for an athlete interview we're back to the sport of field hockey one of my favorite sports of course this is my sport i've always talked about me playing the sport and we're here to talk to canadian olympian oliver schofield who was part of the tokyo squad for canada and i was going to nearly say their team name because we talked a lot about on this show about how australia has a an affinity for naming our national sporting teams giving them mascots and something that's a bit unfamiliar to canada but as you will learn in this interview, Team Canada in field hockey have a mascot. They are referred to as something. So this is actually exciting. I nearly spoiled it for you right there. But outside of that great little caveat you're going to hear, you're going to learn a lot here from Oliver about his journey to the Olympics, how the Olympics was always a dream for him growing up in the UK and what other sports he could have very much nearly played at the Olympics and how close he maybe came to becoming a British Olympian. Very uh, different paths could have seen him playing for Britain Team GB at the Olympics. So it's a great chat. We also learn a lot about the sport in Canada. One thing that you'll hear me talk about is kind of the the opinion of field hockey in Canada is very different to what it is for someone like me growing up in Australia, where it's a pretty standard sport that most kids play at some point. Whereas obviously in Canada, you think of the word hockey, you may be thinking of a different variation of the sport. So great interview here with Oliver. You're going to learn a lot and you're going to hear it right now. Here is our chat with Canadian Olympic field hockey player, Oliver Schofield. (laughs) 
It's always exciting when we get to talk about a sport that I actually used to play. That sport is field hockey. And we haven't had someone on the show in quite some time to talk about the sport. And our very first time we're able to talk to a non-Australian about field hockey, somebody from Canada. And of course, if anybody mentions the words hockey in Canada, they're often thinking they're playing a different sport. But let's be honest, they're playing the real hockey. I just want to point that out right now and probably lose a bunch of our Canadian listeners right now. Uh, He was part of the Canadian squad that competed in the Tokyo Olympics, and it's a pleasure to learn a little bit more about his journey to the Olympics and everything else in between. Please welcome off the podium, Oliver Schofield. Oliver, first of all, pleasure to have you here and off the podium to talk about the real hockey, the real hockey, Oliver. That's what we're here to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on, Ben. Now, how sick of the, the question do you get? when it's like, oh, hockey, what, what's that hockey? You know, I, I can't imagine that when you say you play hockey in Canada, certain things don't come to mind. Uh, you know, what jokes all the time, people questioning that type of hockey, because even I found when I was in Canada, I mentioned the words field hockey and people would sort of look at me funny. Yeah, it, it is a funny one. Um, I mean, I grew up in the UK where hockey is, or field hockey is hockey and ice hockey is ice hockey. Um so I wasn't really used to it. And then when I moved to move back to Canada, then I had to kind of readjust my, my mind around that. Um, but no, it definitely comes up quite often. Um, field hockey is quite small over here, but I'm working a lot with my club and with, with the national team as well to try and grow the sport. So we're really trying to get rid of that stigma of like, there's only one type of, of hockey here. Um, so definitely trying to grow that in the youth and get them used to saying field hockey, ice hockey, it's all, it's all the same. Because I found that that was the, the weirdest thing I found that whenever, because I, I love both. I'll be completely honest with you. I absolutely love ice hockey and I love I love field hockey. But obviously you would have the similar thing as you were just saying in the UK. You say hockey, people automatically think field hockey. If you're talking about ice hockey, you've got to use the word ice. So therefore, if I'm talking to a Canadian in Australia and they're sort of like, why are you adding the word ice to it? That's a bit strange. And then when you're in Canada, it's the opposite. It's kind of if I mention the word hockey, and I'm sure you do, obviously they think of ice. And then it's kind of, it's strange when you've got two forms of hockey in two forms of the Olympics and you've kind of always got to add a word to it. So I don't know, maybe we should just automatically call them field and ice just so that we don't confuse certain parts of the world. Maybe. I mean, I have also had like, I've been speaking to people before about like, oh, I'm going to the Olympics this before Tokyo. Uh, and, oh, what sport and hockey? And it's like, isn't isn't that in the Winter Olympics? I'm like, ah, different type. <laughs> well, I actually, it's interesting with your with your UK roots. I we recently had a um, judoka on the show, and we were sort of learning about the uh, British judoka, and we were looking at the history of medals won by the UK. They have never won a gold in judo, but the UK have won a gold in ice hockey. So there's a fun trivia question uh that you can sort of put out there to people like which sport has the uk won more olympic gold medals medals in judo or ice hockey i guarantee you they're never going to say ice hockey <laughs> that's, yeah that's a good one i didn't know that yeah i think they've won about 20 medals in judo not one gold i think they've won two medals in ice hockey one of them gold so um <laughs> there's there's your fun fact of the oh, day that you yeah. can take with you <laughs> which got to ask the obvious question <laughs> then uh what what led you into uh playing field hockey was it the, the UK bracket, were you playing in the UK or did you start playing in Canada before you moved over to the UK? Uh, no, it was in the UK. Uh, I moved there when I was quite young. Um, so yeah, just in, in PE and in, in school, um, started playing young and then, you know, I played every sport I could when I was a kid. So then uh, eventually I realized that hockey was 
kind of the one that I was best at and the one I enjoyed the most. Um, so yeah, stuck with that. Was it a case of the sports you were playing Olympic aspirations? Was this sort of a dream as a kid or, uh, I mean, kind of did this sort of come when you eventually started making the ranks up through hockey? Uh, no, yeah. The Olympics was always a dream of mine. Um, even before I knew that like hockey was going to be the sport I was going to play. Um, always a dream, just kind of the appeal of it. There was, or there was always that appeal to me, um, just reaching kind of the pinnacle of your career, having a group of the world's best athletes all competing on the same stage. It just, I don't know, it just had that massive attraction to me. Um, so then once I did decide that hockey was the sport I, I enjoyed the most and I wanted to keep playing to the highest level, it was like, okay, maybe I can get there one day. Um, but yeah, when I was, when I was 15, 16, I was trying to play for the English team and so representing GB at the Olympics, um, which obviously didn't happen. So then I moved to Canada for university and then it became a bit more of a reality uh, for the Canadian team. So does that work? Like are you sort of dual citizen, like Britain, Canada, and is that how you're eligible to, to sort of go there? Or do, if you're trying out for the team GB, is that because you're just, you're living there? I mean, how does that kind of technicalities work? Do you have to be a citizen to be able to try out for England? Yeah, yeah, you do. Um, so yeah, I'm lucky enough. I have both passports. Um, being born in Canada got me the Canadian. And then after living in the UK, I think for five years, I was, I was able to get that passport too. Which, how is that growing up when you sort of, you, you've got those roots, you probably get to a point maybe where you're more familiar with the UK, but do you kind of always deep down root for Canada if you're watching the Olympics or kind of, you're like, oh, I'm bored with Team GB because this is where I am? Or is it just kind of a mixture of the both? Yeah, definitely a mixture. Um, luckily, Canada doesn't play England too many times at different sports. So <laughs> I didn't really have to choose too often, but um no, it was funny. Yeah. Like growing up there, I probably felt a lot more affiliated with that kind of English side, but my whole family's Canadian. All my extended family lives in, um, kind of around Toronto area. So I always had that connection, um, back to, to Canada and we would come, you know, skiing out this way as well, uh, quite often. So yeah, you know, really, I just felt that connection to both. And then having moved back here, then obviously now I feel a lot stronger connection to Canada. Does, does that automatically make you a Leaf supporter then? And like, are, are you like the UK's number one Leaf supporter? <laughs> I might be, yeah. And my, okay. my friends don't like it very much over here either. No, that, that's all right. Uh, Colin, who's not with us today, would have loved that. I'm a Flames guy. So, uh, you know, they're not the word. I'm a Raptors guy. So I kind of always have a soft spot for any Toronto team. So I can't, I can't diss the Leafs. So yeah. okay. Okay, don't tell good. Colin. Don't tell Colin. <laughs> I, I, only, I only diss him when he's on, on it. What were some of the other sports that you were sort of playing when you were a kid? Um, so athletics is probably my biggest one. Um, I used to run the 800 and the 1500 meter. Um, but yeah, and then I played, uh, I'll call it soccer cause I'm over here, but I guess football, um, I played that to a kind of a higher level. And then we would have like house competition in our school. So I'd play rugby, cricket, you know, badminton, literally anything I could, I'd go out and play for the or play in the house competition. And how, how, how was cricket for you? Like, uh, you know, I mean, obviously we're quite partial to that in this part of the world. Uh, we, we kind of, uh, have a lovely, the ashes are coming up, of course, uh, all of us. So, I mean, you know, we've kind of got an eye on that, but, uh, was that sort of a, a big one for you? Is it something you still follow being, it's a bit hard to follow in Canada, of course, but still able to. 
<laughs> yeah, again, like I never played that to a high, high level. Um, so it was always just a bit more fun for me. But I mean, I, I enjoyed this, the sport a lot. Um, and I can't say I follow it too closely, but I'll always tune in to the Ashes and keep track of those scores as well. So, And obviously that's where you stick to England. You, you're not going to be sneakily yeah. going, oh, I might go for Australia this time around. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> Couldn't quite not. do that. Yeah, never. <laughs> Which... I know here, obviously in Australia. I mean, when I grew up playing hockey, it was a it was a mixture of school and club. So obviously in primary school, and you got to a certain level, and you kind of switched focus to to club hockey. Is that how it worked in in the UK that you would play for your school and then you would go play for a club, or is maybe the school system a little bit differently there, where you stick with the school longer than you would go play for a club? Yeah, I guess I'm in a bit of a unique situation. So I grew up um, in or on the island of Jersey in the Channel Islands. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if you know it, but it's a very small island. Yep. Um, you know, it was less than a hundred thousand people when I was there. So the hockey scene, it wasn't like we had, you know, hundreds of clubs you can go pick and choose. Um, so my school team actually played in the Island league. Uh, so we would play against other clubs. So I played for my school in that league. And then I also played for the Island in kind of the national competition. So we would right. travel to England, uh, you know, every month or so to play in um like a, it was called the hockey association cup and how far is the distance from jersey to mainland england like sort of is it, is it just a short ferry ride you have to get to plane kind of how does that work yeah it's like a 45 minute flight into london um or i guess you've gone into southampton or you can take it's about a four hour ferry uh to portsmouth right and is it popular like on the island is it kind of one of the 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 more popular sports kind of mid-range sort of house participation levels yeah no it's good it's definitely one of the bigger ones um rugby 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 and football would be the biggest um and then kind of hockey cricket they all feed in under that great great so what then brought the move back to canada uh and then kind of was there a choice overall made that Hey, I'm going to pursue this to to play for for Canada. I mean, how how close were you to sort of playing for England before maybe that that move did come about to go back to Canada? Yeah, um, so I played in the English kind of development system through until under 18s, and at that point, I kind of didn't make the cut, and I knew that that wasn't really going to be rea- be a reality for me. Um, so then it was right around. Uh, choosing universities and so because i was a canadian citizen both my siblings had come to ubc in vancouver before me um so basically i moved out here for for university so i went to ubc um not really with any intentions of playing hockey for for canada um i knew i would play at university but it was really more i was coming out here for for the other experiences um and then i was in my second year i think and i kind of got invited out to an under 21 identification camp um and yeah kind of made made the the junior team from there and then eventually progressed up to the seniors was that difficult to kind of put in the back of your mind that you so you're going out there for university and that's not really your focus but i mean was that a hard prospect to think that you might have to give up hockey if if kind of things didn't go a certain way when you got back to vancouver uh to be honest, I don't, I don't, don't really think I was thinking about it that way. Um, you know, when you're 17, 18, you're off to uni, like there's so many other things going on. So again, I knew I was going to play for the university. Uh, so I knew I would keep playing. Um, 
but yeah, I think I was just focused on so many other things in my life. And then because field hockey is quite a small sport out here, a lot of the like 90% of the national team is, is based in Vancouver. Um, so just being here for university kind of led me into that scene and into that community. And so a bunch of my teammates at uni were all already playing for the national team. Um, all the coaches knew, knew each other. Like it's a small community out here. Uh, so it was, it was an easy transition into it, but yeah, I, I don't really think I was thinking of it when I moved out here, there was just so many other things going on. Now, if my calculations are correct in your age, you would have moved out there around about the time of the Vancouver Olympics. Were you there sort of around them or just after? And if so, were you caught up in sort of the moments? Does that add to the sort of the Olympic ambitions to sort of be in a, in a city with the Olympics, maybe different type of Olympics, but uh, kind of still happening? Uh, I, so I moved out in 2011, so the year uh, after. Just after, um, right. But was it still a vibe? Was it kind of still kind of like dregs of kind of, you know, having had an Olympics a year earlier? I'm sure the city still kind of had a bit of a, yeah. a buzz to it. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, the Olympic legacy here is is actually very good. I'd say it's one mm. of the better ones. Um, yeah, so the Olympic Village is now like a really popular area to live. You've got the rings up downtown. Um, the facilities around the city are all nice. And then, yeah, like the the... Richmond Olympic Oval is where we do a lot of our strength and conditioning training. And it's this massive facility. It's where they hosted all like the speed skating and that type of stuff. Um, so I think like they've done it, they've done it well or in such a way that people actually continue to use all the facilities and the accommodation and all that stuff. Um, so I think people are still really have really fond memories of the Olympics and they kind of hold on to that. Uh, in the city, which it's cool. It's a really cool thing to have. Yeah, I've always loved that about each of the three Canadian cities that had the Olympics. That it kind of there's always that feeling that you can tell the Olympics have been there. I remember going to Calgary, and it's like it's in the airport, Montreal. It's not that hard to find it. And yeah, Vancouver. I remember the first time I went there, spending all that day just kind of trying to find things, going to the Cauldron. And every time I would go to Vancouver, it's like, okay, I know where the Cauldron is. I'm going to the Cauldron, get the the photo with the Cauldron, and then spend the rest of it. So uh, it'll be interesting to kind of see if uh, that happens because possibility you could have the olympics back there in 2030 of course there's you know talk that it's going to come back there is there so when when you start to kind of make your way through and and kind of get that first canada canada nod when you actually finally make the team was this this was a junior team uh for sort of under 21 and kind of what's that that feeling like when you sort of you you've made that level you've actually made the national team of this sport that you've kind of been going through the ranks for for quite some time yeah, it was, yeah, it was really cool. Um, again, like I didn't, when I moved out here, I didn't have any intentions of it. Um, so it was in 2013 was when I first got selected, yeah, for the junior team, the under 21s. Um, we had just, yeah, we had just qualified for the junior world cup that would be later that year. So I kind of made my way in, um, just in time for that team. And that was my first exposure to it. Um, but yeah, again, it just, it was, it was really cool because a few of my friends were on the team, a few of my teammates from university were, were on that team already. So to be able to play with them, there was already that, that excitement. And then seeing them who had already represented the seniors as well, I was like, okay, this is a real possibility of, you know, actually playing for the, for the country and eventually hopefully getting to the Olympics. What was that Junior World Cup experience like? I remember when I was 14, we had the Junior World Cup 
in Hobart. And I, I was a ball kid. I had an absolute blast there, like just uh, two weeks, however long it was, going around. We were collecting pins. We were, you know, trying to negotiate with all the teams to score some swag. Like, we like this team's jacket. We want your jacket. We like your stick. We want your stick. I mean, it was so much fun on our behalf. But as a, as a player, what's like the Junior World Cup, say, compared to an Olympics or, or a World Cup? It's a bit more relaxed, a bit more fun, kind of that atmosphere. Um, yeah, well, I was just in India. We were in Delhi. Um, Good place to have hockey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it was this whole, like, huge experience for us. Uh, you know, you travel across the world. You've got all these kind of health restrictions around, like, the drinking water and that type of stuff. So you have to be really careful. But then when you get there, you've actually got full stadiums cheering for you. So we actually played against India in the group stages. Wow. Um, and that was our first experience playing, you know, in front of, I don't know, maybe five or 10,000 people, which when you're, when you're 19, 20 years old is a, is a big deal. Um, so it, it was really exciting for me, well, for the whole team. Um, sorry, my dog's just gone. That's, that's fine. We love a good dog appearance. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's kind of, uh, it, it's a common thing here. It's always uh, interesting to have, be joined by our four-legged friends. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so did you want me to start again or no, no, look, look, I think, I think we got what we needed there. I I think that kind of, that was, you'll learn on this show over that like, like questions go from one side to another and we'll end up talking about the weather at some point, probably not the weather. We're not going to go down that path, but you know, one question will start, we'll talk about something else. That's just how it works. (laughs) Kind of there, which I actually just on sort of the topic of, of the sport in Canada. One of the, the, the biggest things I found when I was there is that I would mention that I played field hockey and people would often question me, not more for the fact that it was a different type of hockey that they were used to. They'd often say to me, but that's a girl's sport. And I didn't actually realise that in Canada, for the most part, it's, it's mainly a, a, a female sport. That, that, that absolutely confused me because obviously in Australia – you know, hockey here is, is massive. Our our men's team is one of the best in the world. You know, kind of we're, we're obviously very renowned to, for looking, you know, at both sides of the men's and women's things. So, I mean, was that something that you sort of weren't aware too, that this is sort of something that Canadians really think of as, as more of a, a female-based sport than a men's sport? Yeah, so, sadly, it's true. Um, yeah, and it's become less so in, in more recent years, I'd say. But when I first moved here, definitely, like, you mentioned that you play field hockey and, and that's the first reaction is it's either, oh, why don't you play ice hockey or isn't, I thought only girls played that. And the amount of times you get the joke, like, oh, do you wear skirts to play? And it's like, you know, it's 2021 now. I don't really think we should be making those jokes. Yeah. And and as well, like what, you, what you're doing by, by saying like, oh, isn't that a girl's sport kind of condescendingly is you're down, downplaying or devaluing devaluing the women's sport yeah exactly um so yeah sadly that's true um but yeah i mentioned this earlier like i'm doing i'm doing a lot with my club and and with the national team as well to try and grow the sport from the grassroots and that also includes growing it specifically on the boys side um just to try and get rid of that stigma and to get more more kids playing in general and then more boys playing um as well just to even out the numbers which when it comes to sort of playing facilities obviously you know most people would watch hockey and see sort of the turf aspect of it 
I'm sure it was probably the same for you. For me, growing up, you're playing on grass. You you do play on the field, hence why it's called field hockey. So are are there many sort of designated facilities for the sport? Uh, Obviously, I can imagine plenty, uh, well, some in Vancouver, but I mean across the country. And is it generally a case of sharing facilities with soccer, like a, a lot of the time we would do here in Australia if there's not, say, a readily field hockey facility available? Um. Yeah. Yeah. So at the higher levels, we have. What are we at? Two. I think we're at five, like official, like full on, uh, field hockey Astros, out in Vancouver. Um, and as I said, ninety percent of this of the national team is based out west. Just with the climate, it's the place where you can play year round. Um. So we we have. Uh, you know, good facilities, good turfs, but then at the lower level. So when you're talking juniors, you know, in high school level, um, it is often shared with, with the soccer, like the artificial turf. Um, I'm sure, you know, the difference. So instead of the actual hockey water base, it's kind of that longer grass with the little black pellets in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So fun. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's not as conducive to the sport, but um I mean, it still gets kids playing, so. Yeah. Did you ever have the ones growing up? We had one here that was actually, I don't even know how old or whatever it was, but it had this really dodgy artificial turf, and instead of any water or the little bead, you had sand. It was literally sand, and that just killed you when you would fall over. Like, I don't know if that was just an old way they used to do the turfs or an Australian thing. I mean, did, did you have things like that in the UK? Yeah, that's that's what I grew up on, <laughs> strictly sand based. Yeah. Um, so it was always funny, like when I would travel to England for kind of the English development stuff. Um, then we'd be on water base, and it's a completely different style of game. Yep. Like it, the ball bounces so much more; it's so much quicker. Um, but yeah, yeah, sand based is what I grew up on. It's really moved like the technology of of fields or of the astro has advanced so much in the past kind of 10 years the best part for me was when you'd play the summer league and you'd get to play on one of the water turfs and you know obviously a bit warm here in australia <laughs> so it'd be like half time you would you wouldn't care how you're doing you just ran the sprinklers <laughs> yeah. so it's sprinklers time we can cool down we can cool down there too what what position uh, are you sort of best at i mean do you kind of fluctuate do you kind of uh, just stick stick to one when it comes to to playing yeah um i play in the midfield now um I spent a number of years uh, on the forward line as well. So the way we play, it's it's we do have set midfield forward, but we like that um, our front six can all interchange. Mm-hmm. So if the forward can easily drop back into midfield and the midfielder can easily play up front, um, you know, if you get caught out of position or anything. Which I have to mention, as always, whenever we talk about field hockey. Because look, I'm just saying this, Oliver, because like all these sports we talk about, like I'm never going to be out here saying like, "Hey, I used to do judo," or "Hey, I used to do curling." Like this is the one time I get to kind of relate to somebody <laughs> clearly having been very successful in the sport in my entire career. But uh, I was a goalie, so uh, did you, did you ever pull on the pads at all? Give it, give it a bit of a crack, trying to trying to be one of us weird folks in those goals. <laughs> I've done it once and I don't think I'll ever do it again. <laughs> I don't know how, how you do it or why you do it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the why often came down to nobody else wanted to do it. We're losing 13-0 <laughs> yeah. every single game. Somebody better do it. Um, yeah, somebody has but, to. 
I, I always like to share the story, my claim to fame. Well, not really claim to fame, but uh, I actually played against Eddie Ockenden. He was, uh, he's from where I'm from, same age. He played in the same league as me. He played for the best team, of course he did, and used to pop, you know, in 10 goals against me. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I interviewed him many years ago, and I remember saying to him, like, you're welcome, mate. Like, you got all that practice <laughs> and that, that fat goalkeeper. He used to play for Prince of Wales all those years ago. So um, I, I like to say I made Eddie Ockenden happen, which I don't know if someone like you, when you're playing, against is probably a bad thing so uh for you i'm sorry for the for australians you're welcome yeah he's a he's a fantastic player so good for you <laughs> when it comes to you mentioning about sort of developing the sport in in the country sort of what steps do you take for that and and what steps would you like to take for that to kind of really help the sport grow across canada yeah i think at the like the main thing for us is showcasing what the sport looks like at the highest level. Um, I think field hockey has come so far in the last, well, five years, 10 years, 20 years, however, whatever timeline you want to put, it's, it keeps advancing and it keeps getting quicker and quicker. Um, people are doing like new things and more and more impressive things. So just trying to showcase that to these, you know, eight, nine, 10 year olds who just want to be out running and competing if you can show them that they're always like, Oh my goodness, this is, this is so cool. Um, and then you can show them like how hard you can hit the ball and they're like, Oh, I want to be able to do that. So with, with my club, we will go into schools and do, you know, we'll take over a PE class for an hour. And so we'll do, we'll show them what we can do. We'll explain all the rules. We'll get them playing. And then maybe we'll, um, show them some clips as well of like the highest level. So it's really about showcasing the sport at the highest level, getting kids uh, playing at a young level. And then they realize kind of how fun it is and how far they can go, especially since it is still a small sport. It's a very, you know, it's an easier chance to get to the highest level or even to get to kind of university scholarships, um, that type of thing. than if you go to try and play one of the bigger sports like ice hockey or, um, you know, Canadian football or anything like that. Which, because it is a sport which I don't, if you're not familiar with it when you watch it, realise can be incredibly exciting, right? Like, it, it, I mean, hockey is a, is a, is a, a lot faster than people think it is. The, the balls are a lot harder than you think it is. It's, it's a lot more action-packed than people think it is. And I guess kind of coming from a country like you growing up in the UK as well, where you're familiar with it, you, you feel like it's just part of you, you know what it's like, but in a country like Canada where, yeah, they're not overly familiar with it, selling that aspect of the sport. And do you sort of, do you come loaded with like a highlights package where you're like, this is what looks like at the Olympics World Cup, like this is what top tier hockey looks like to really kind of sell it. And then all of a sudden the kids, you give them a stick, give them a ball, come on kids, let's let's give it a go because that sort of thing will help. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're actually fortunate in um, how we qualified for Tokyo was one of like the most dramatic events I've ever been a part of or seen or heard of. Um, so we ended up beating Ireland having, it was a two game series. We came back from two goals down. We tied it up with less than a second left on the clock and then won it in a wow. shootout that we were also wow. down two goals in. Um, so luckily enough, we can just show a five minute recap of that one match, <laughs> the second match. And all of a sudden the kids are into it and then it's like, okay, and here's some sticks. Now you go do it. Um, and and, and <laughs> they're, kind of they're instantly keen, more keen to, to try it out. Having seen kind of 
that crazy environment and the success that we had. Well, that sounds like the movie in that. Like, you know, bugger just a five-minute YouTube clip. You should be, like, on the board, on the phone to Hollywood trying to make something, <laughs> you know, the story of how Canada qualified for Tokyo. I like the sound of this. I mean, honestly, you, you, could, not, you could not make it up. Um, we, yeah, it was... It was. I would recommend any of the listeners if you want something exciting, go go look that up. The Canada vs Island match two of the Olympic qualifiers. Um, <laughs> Which was that? Was that pre delay or was that sort of after the delay? Like, do you know you had qualified for Tokyo before the games were postponed, or did you have to wait around to even realize you could qualify for the games until twenty twenty one? No, that was twenty nineteen. So that was right. pre COVID, all of that stuff. Um, so that was, I guess, some weird uh, thing, knowing that you at least were going to the Olympics, should the Olympics go ahead, rather than having to wait through that period of uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then again, with the funny thing with the team sport is the team had qualified, but you still have to select your best 16 guys. Yeah. So for me, I was I was not by any means guaranteed a spot. Um so it was still a lot of uncertainty of saying like, yeah, we've qualified and I helped us get there, but that's not a guarantee that I'm actually going to be selected and playing in Tokyo. Which going back a few years to Rio, was that sort of the case? I mean, you're on the national squad. How close were you to being on that squad for, for Rio and kind of, you know, what happened with that whole experience? Yeah, I, I was definitely a bit further removed. Um, I was kind of in in the squad for the beginning of the site or of the prep and then maybe in kind of the first round of cuts in you know february of 2016 kind of just didn't go um, there. what's that like though then being like because it's obviously as you're saying you're part of a team so it's a team sport your goal is to qualify the team for the olympics is that's that's what you're out there doing but of course selfishly you all also all want to make the team as well but do you kind of take some sort of pride in some way that you were part of that team that helped qualify for the Olympics so you can sit back on the couch and watch Rio and go well I played a small part in those 16 guys making it to the Olympics yeah yeah it's it's a really tough situation for for the reserve athletes the athletes not not selected um so yeah like because we're such a tight group like all of the guys on the team in Rio are my friends. So I was happy for all of them, them and you're, you're cheering them on and you really want them to do well. But then there's that part of you that's like, Oh, I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have, you know, and I didn't deserve to be there. I wasn't good enough at that time. So I didn't hold any grudges or anything, but there is still that part of you as, a, as an athlete, as a competitor. It's like, I, you know, wish I could have been there. I, I think I could have done well, that type of stuff. Um, so it's it's a really difficult uh, position for anyone in you know that situation of being that reserve athlete, that first one cut or that last one cut. Sorry, um, but I mean that that's just team sport at the end of the day. I'm sure it also always helps in a in a weird way to spur you on for the next Olympics. So that that disappointment, watching it, thinking that could have been me, but then pushes you. I'm sure harder to get better, practice harder, make that squad more, and then put yourself in a position so that at the time, in four years' time, you can be well-placed to make sure you are on that plane to the next Olympic Games. Absolutely. And that's what you have to do. You really, yeah, you nailed it. Get the nail on the head there. You have to use that as motivation and kind of take a deep look at why you weren't selected, why you weren't in that, in that squad, and what you can do to 
yeah, close that gap and, and get on the next fight. In terms of the team in general, when it comes to qualifying for these major tournaments, obviously the the Olympic is the Olympics are the peak. You've, you've obviously got things like, um, you, you know, the World Cup, the Champions Trophy, Pan Am Games, Commonwealth Games, sort of, you, you know, when it when it comes to being able to play those games in the world stage, does a lot of that come from Canada, from these qualifying tournaments? Are there often, you know, does the US come up and play an invitational series? You go down to the US. I mean, other teams sort of within the Americas. I mean, kind of how, how does Canada actively go out there to improve their performance against some of these world's best teams that you want to play outside of say an Olympics or a, or a, you know, a world cup, you know, if you want to play the Netherlands outside of a world cup, can you like invite the Dutch over to Canada? Hey, like come and play a five game series against us so we can help improve ourselves. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. That's basically the, the biggest problem we have is not getting enough matches um, to really compete with the top nations. Um, so yeah, we've hosted series and we go on kind of training tours quite often. Uh, that's the easiest way. Um, but it's difficult. Like Canada's a long way away from a lot of other countries in the world. Um, and it costs a lot of money for them to come here for us to host them or for us to go anywhere else. Um, so that was like the biggest, the biggest thing for us going into Tokyo, I felt like we, we couldn't be as prepared as we wanted to be. So we were able to travel to Europe twice and we got a few matches in there against Germany, Belgium and a couple of club sides. Um, so we got some, but then you look at the European teams that had the European championships literally a month before the Olympics. So they played in a tournament, they played tournament hockey where, you know, you get used to who you're playing with, you get used to, um, the ups and downs of group stages, what it means playing competitive matches again, um, that we just didn't really have access to that type of competition. Which they had a very similar thing here in Australia uh, that basically the, the Kookaburras, I think, played a five or a ten match series against New Zealand. That was all they could do because, uh, yeah, they couldn't obviously, similar to, to you guys, get to Europe, get to that sort of stuff. And a lot of talk was put on that, that the fact that the only team Australia knows who they're playing is, is New Zealand. So, But, I mean, if you're, if you're playing against Germany, I mean, Belgium, like playing against eventual Olympic champions, right? So, I mean, that's, that's not the worst team that you could uh, go against to kind of prep yourself for, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but it was the trouble is the number of matches you can get. Hmm. Um, like just being in Europe is so much easier to, you know, you can organize a match in a week. Whereas for us, it involves the flights, the accommodation. There was quarantine back in those days. So we actually had to, when we did go to Europe and we came back, we had to do two weeks of quarantine um, both times. So that's like, that's then four weeks out of your prep four weeks that you can't be on the pitch that you're doing running in your backyard or on a treadmill. Um, so yeah, it was difficult, difficult to prepare, but I mean, there's not much you can do with the whole global pandemic. Before we get a bit more to the Olympics, a couple of things you, you touched on sort of the club aspect before, you, you know, is there, is there a national field hockey competition or is it kind of just based purely on, on Vancouver? Do you maybe have a BC sort of league or does, how does kind of the, the club structure in say Canada and BC work? Yeah. So we play in the, it's kind of a great, greater Vancouver uh, men's league. Um, so that includes clubs from Vancouver, North, North and West Vancouver, Surrey, just to the South of us, Burnaby. Um, so kind of the whole lower mainland, that's what, that's the league that we play in. 
Um, there are other leagues across the country, but there's no national league. And do you do, does that then kind of culminate though in national championships? So like the, the your competition, the champions will go on to play in the, the Western Canada championship, then they'll go on to play in the sort of the national ones. Is there sort of a structure in place for, for that sort of thing? Sadly, no, um, not at the senior level. There's junior nationals, I believe. Again, I didn't grow up here, so I haven't been a part of that, but they host nationals where you, you represent your province. Right. So You, you talk about yeah. 90% sort of of the team being there in Vancouver. I mean, are there other hotbeds across the, the, the country in terms of it, like outside of Vancouver and BC, where, where are sort of a lot of the, the field hockey players coming from in Canada? Um, Toronto, or just outside of Toronto. So I think in, in Brampton there's a big um, community that plays. Uh, but yeah, like of the 18 that traveled to Tokyo, um, we had, yeah, one from Toronto, everyone else, everyone else lives or grew up in Vancouver. Crazy. Wow. And, and of sort of, of those 18, I mean, how many, uh, uh, you know, born and bred naturalized Canadians? I mean, are there kind of people like yourself grown up in the UK and kind of taking the sport like have you got a few people who have maybe brought that from other places or are you or are you majorly sort of like born bred canadian you've grown up with the sport as as naturalized canadians no no there's quite a few kind of foreigners um who have emigrated to canada throughout their lives um Which makes or, it or, or you know, have a, yeah yeah or have a canadian passport like one of our one of our teammates Flo lived his whole life in in holland or wow. belgium holland uh, but has a Canadian passport, so then was able to play for us. Any any so, Aussies? Any, any Aussie connections at all there? Yeah, we've had a number of Aussies over the years. South African, um, yeah. Good. All right. Just like to like to kind of uh, clarify that one. Uh, also, before <laughs> before we talk about the Olympics too, uh, Pan Am Games in in 2019, silver medalist. Now that would have been an interesting final, I can imagine, because if I'm not mistaken, you win that gold at the pan ams you also then guarantee your spot for the olympics don't you so it's kind of double-edged like you know success like gold medal qualify for the olympics you don't have to come back from two goals down against ireland make it a little bit uh easier so i mean does that that must be a unique tournament to kind of have that added pressure of not only do you want to walk away from a major tournament like that with a gold medal but you also kind of want to make it easier for yourselves to uh qualify for an olympics i mean what what's it like going into a, a final of the pan am games with all of that in the back of your mind yeah, I mean, that's that's the focus of it. We knew that that was our first chance of qualifying. Um, so that was like, if we knew that once we got to the final, we were like, this is it. We need to put everything into this because there's no guarantees for the qualifier that we were going to get. Like we, we were matched up against Ireland, but at the end of the day, it was a um, like a draw from a hat essentially of who you played against. So we could have been matched up against someone ranked even higher. Uh, or someone who we didn't match up against as well. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of pressure, but the Pan Am Games is such a great tournament for us because it, it's a multi-sport tournament. So it's similar to the Olympics in that you're in a village, you've got all these other athletes around you playing from all different sports. Um, so it's a really cool experience. And it was my first multi-sport experience as well. So it kind of, it kind of made the Olympics easier because all of those things weren't as new experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's a really cool tournament that we're lucky to play in as, as one of the American countries. Which, uh, it's a great point you make there because it's always interesting talking to athletes from say some sports where the Olympics is the, the only chance they get at a multi-sport 
event. Like their events are never at a Pan Ams or a Commonwealth or things like that. But you've obviously got that unique distinction with hockey, Pan Ams. It's a Commonwealth game sport as well. And it's always that like that prep because it, it must be interesting to kind of go to an event like that when you haven't experienced it before. Because if you're going to a World Cup, you're going to this, it's, it's purely hockey, right? So do you kind of have to avoid distractions? Do you find yourself going to the Pan Ams going, oh, like I can go and watch the athletics. I can go and watch the swimming or no, focus only on this. Like, oh, I'm in a village. I can get this food. Oh, no, focus on the event. Like, do you kind of have to try and balance those distractions that maybe you didn't realize were going to be a thing when you get to the Pan Ams? Um, yeah, yeah. And and luckily, like, we have a very experienced group. Um, so enough guys have been to enough multi-sports to kind of lead you through it. Um, but yeah, definitely. I mean, there's so much going on around it and even just like village life is, is completely different. It's always buzzing and you can always, you know, there's 10,000 athletes in in the Olympic village. I guess not this year. We didn't have more at once, but, um, yeah, there's, there can be a lot of distractions, but I mean, luckily we have an experienced group that that didn't really play into much for us. One thing I wanted to touch on, I was going to ask this question, but I didn't actually realize there was already an answer to this question. Obviously, the uh, men's side here in Australia, the Kookaburras, the, the women's side, the hockey ruse, we've talked a lot about on this show with Colin about the fact that in Australia, we love to give our teams nicknames. It's a very Australian thing. I think there's only one team in Australia that doesn't have a nickname, and that's our men's cricket team. We're just called the men's cricket team. They won't <laughs> give them a, a nickname for whatever reason. I was going to ask if uh, Canada have one, but I, I'm reading here, and is this correct? The Red Caribou, is that the official uh, nickname, the mascot for That's the... it. I'm, I'm even wearing the hat right now. You this are? Look at that. Yeah. Jeez. Okay. Uh, is this a uniquely field hockey thing? Because I don't see that much in Canada that you give your national teams nicknames. Yeah, no, that is unique to field hockey. We, um, I think it was before Rio, actually, the guys came up with it. Uh, for exactly that reason, it was like all these other countries have names. Um, and even like you look at New Zealand's the black sticks, I think Spain is the red sticks. You got the red lions, uh, coming out of Belgium. So yeah, I don't know who actually came up with the name, but eventually it was like this whole thing. Like, okay, we're going to call ourselves the red caribou. We had a connection within the community, come up with the logo. We made hats and made shirts. We, yeah, we sold it as kind of a fundraising thing. Uh, and created this like identity around it that really helped our supporters, which is really friends and family, but it helped them get around it a lot more. Um, which yeah, it which works is good. though. Like it's, yeah, it's, it does. it's a thing. I know in Australia, like we literally know our teams by their names like that. Like it's, it's, it's rare to ever hear during an Olympics, the, the women's field hockey team are through to the, like, it, it's always the hockey ruse are through to the, the court. You know, straight away who you're talking with. The Kookaburras are playing for gold tonight. Like it's never the men's field hockey team are playing for gold tonight. So that needs to take off more in Canada. Like this is where you are the, the, the bench setters for, for this in cross Canada, the, the red caribou should be setting a trend. I, I want to see in Beijing, the, the ice hockey boys, like, you know, not just team Canada, <laughs> like they should be like, I don't know, the ice bears or something like that. I have no idea. Like, come up with a new game for every team in Canada. Yeah, we should. We should. It's I'll send them it's, Do it. Please do. Groundbreaking. And how, so when you do release the hats and the merchandise, so like, d- does that take off? Like, do you, do you find yourself all of a sudden, uh, you know, having a lot of people who are interested in getting red caribou merch? Yeah, it did for us. Um, so we partnered with, again, like another connection of someone um, 
who owned a, a hat company called nine o'clock gun um and so we partnered with him he or they produced these hats for us and so it was like really nice quality stuff so then when we go to sell it and they can people can see it, it's like okay this is actually good stuff as well as i'm supporting the team um so it wasn't just we got the cheapest we could do and just ship them out there um and as well like you get that benefit of you know partnering with local businesses um supporting local that type of stuff that i think goes a long way as well you mentioned the the great moment you qualify for the the games the team qualifies in that series against ireland talk about when you found out you were on that squad the moment that you knew you were going to tokyo what what was that like when you officially knew that you were going to be an olympian yeah um emotional definitely emotional uh i mean i'd had that day circled on my calendar for a very long time and then with the pandemic it got even delayed again another year um but no i i was lucky enough to be able to be at home uh my partner took the day off work as well to be here with me so we could you know be together in the morning try and keep the nerves down and then my coach called us all individually so when i found out it was it's it was just a dream come true like i mentioned earlier going to the olympics and becoming an olympian was always a dream of of mine so when that became a reality it was like okay this is actually happening and then and then and then as well things the gear shifted and then it was okay i've i've got the first step of being selected now things shift to performing at the games um so there was really that there actually was that mental moment for me of job one done now on to the next this is now 100 percent focus which you're talking about getting that phone call so was it a case of okay guys from 10 a.m on this day i'll be calling all of you and then does the time like does he call the people who don't make it first and then he calls the squad or is he calling you straight away at 10 so you don't have to kind of wait around like was there like a structure to those phone calls on that day it was it was like you said so it was like be available from 10 until 11 or something that's when i'll make the phone calls i don't know who he phoned first i think i was towards the end actually because oh. then because then once he had spoken to everyone he sent the internal team list of everyone out and i got that not too long after the phone call so i think i was towards the end wow um, but at least i wasn't worst, working out <laughs> dragging it out it wasn't like 5 p.m or anything like that would have killed me I think. <laughs> I think we've all been in that situation where you're waiting to find out about a job or, or something along yeah. those lines but I, I can't imagine trying to find out if my childhood dream of going to the Olympics is happening today between 10 and 11. <laughs> uh, we'll just put the kettle on, love. Like, we'll just we'll just yeah. watch some Netflix. Just, you know, kind of like that. Do you, do you have a sneaky drink that night then? Do you kind of maybe just, you know, crack open a bottle of wine and go, all right, time to celebrate? I'll tell you what, actually. I um, My partner's mum had got me a, like, tiny thing of sake. Right. The previous Christmas, kind of as like a a cool thing just after we qualified and yep. I kept that. And I said, I will drink that, uh, on the day I'm selected if I'm selected. Perfect. So cheers to thing, a glass of sake with my partner. And, that and, is, uh, that is, and then go back to work. Yeah. Just get back to work. Simple. So back does that mean work, then, then 
for Christmas this year or next year, she maybe has to like buy you, I, I don't know, some like frog's legs or a couple of <laughs> cargo packets or something like that to open on the day that you make the Paris squad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe a croissant or something. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Got about yeah, maybe it's a good way. tradition we can keep up. <laughs> Which during sort of that period then, um, sort of the COVID period, I mean, hockey's obviously, you know, you sort of touched on before things like quarantine and that, but I mean, I guess you can get a stick in your backyard and, and practice your ball skills and that. But I mean, obviously it's a lot about the teamwork. So, I mean, how do you kind of balance those challenging moments through COVID when you maybe can't come together as a squad, lots of zoom strategy meetings, kind of just uh, Hey guys, let's do some drills in the backyard while we're on camera. I mean, how do, how do you balance that <laughs> moment during the pandemic? Yeah, we, we were lucky. Um, we only really shut down in, in Vancouver for, a couple months where like you really weren't recommended to be outside or like outdoor spaces were closed as well. And then eventually, you know, we realized as science realized that being outdoors was generally okay. Um, so eventually we were able to go for runs again. We could go to the pitch by ourselves, but funnily enough, our coach at the time stepped down at the beginning of the pandemic. Wow. So as soon as, as soon as the Olympics were delayed, or postponed he he stepped down and you know couldn't do it for family reasons he just had a newborn baby and was always planning on retiring after tokyo so couldn't manage the extra year so then all of a sudden we were left we didn't have a coach so it wasn't like we could really do strategy meetings um until eventually our new coaching staff was hired and then but then and by that point we were back to group trainings outdoors again um but, Which I've, yeah, I so found we, that, we just which was interesting. I remember when I was there sort of in BC, because, like, I mean, comparing it now to being in Australia, like, we snap our fingers, everything gets shut down in a moment, And whereas in sort of, at least in BC, it was kind of, these are the things you can and can't do, we recommend you can, and just, I found Canadians just like, okay, no complaints, just did as they're told, whatever, whereas here, it's like, you can't lock us down. We're going to protest. Um, it's 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 weirdly strange. Like it's just people ask me, what who handled it better, Canada or Australia? I used to say Australia. Now I say Canada. So um, just I, I found that very interesting during that period when sort of things were really hitting the fan about how particularly yeah BC kind of handled it. It was it was interesting. Yeah, we've been very lucky, honestly. Like. Yeah, restaurants were closed for a while and they've been opening up. Like our vaccination rates, I think, are high enough now that things are open. Um, we've always been able to be outdoors. Was I For me, that helped a lot. Like to be able to go out for a run or a walk or like walking the dog, that just kept, kept everything sane. You could meet up with your friends outside. Um, it just really took, at least for me and, and my friend group, it took a lot of the, the pressure off. We always love to find out about Olympic experiences outside of the competition things. So similar to what I was asking for about the Pan Ams getting, you know, taken in by that sort of multi-sport event. The Olympics are obviously a little bit different. So how how did you find that aspect of the village life, whether you did the opening ceremony or not, kind of just all those amazing things around competing in Olympics, just those those little moments of seeing the rings and wearing the Team Canada uniform, all those kind of, uh, you know, great memories I'm sure that you had from Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah. And that was half of the reason I wanted to go to the Olympics was all the uh, extra stuff you get along with it. Um, no, so it, it was incredible. Like the village life was fairly normal from what I've heard compared to previous games. Um, 
you know, you wear a mask everywhere, but otherwise things are basically open. Um, but then on the other side of things, you weren't allowed to go to other events. You weren't allowed to leave the village. We didn't go to the opening ceremonies because, well, A, we played the next day. So there was that performance aspect and B, um, there was the COVID concerns, uh, just putting that many people together in one place. Um, so yeah, overall, I'd say the Olympics were still like such an amazing experience for me, but I think there really were some things that maybe I don't fully realize all of them that I just, we missed out on because of the pandemic. In terms of expectations for the team, you know, you get drawn in, I'm, both groups are difficult, of course, but uh, you sort of, uh, you know, up against Belgium, the Netherlands, Germany, you know, never easy nations to come across in, in hockey. But do you, does the team set themselves a goal of let's get to the quarterfinals, let's come away with a win, let's score this amount of goals? Like what were sort of those expectations going into the Olympics for the team? Yeah, exactly. So we wanted to get to the quarters. Um, we wanted to We wanted to finish top eight would have been the best result a Canadian men's team has ever done. Um, but yeah, we, at the end of the day, we're fairly disappointed with our performances and, and definitely with the results that we got. Um, and so that, that also leaves a bit of a sour taste from the games because it wasn't this, you know, dream tournament for us. It was really difficult. We were up against some really good teams. And at the end of the day, we just didn't, quite perform as well as we needed to. How is that to sort of come back from those performances? So, for example, in the first game, you lose 7-1 to Germany. You can obviously come back a couple of days later then to come against Britain, which I want to talk about separately, of course, in itself, but like kind of just regrouping because I can obviously imagine you're going into this, we're going to make the quarters, we're going to create history for the the squad, but to kind of come out in that first game, have a match like that, go, shit, right, this isn't what we're going on. How do you turn that around within two days? Just put it behind you and just focus on the next match quickly? Do you take a couple of hours to kind of dwell on it and then move on? I mean, kind of what's that kind of turnaround period like? Yeah, there, there isn't really much time to dwell. Um, you have to learn from your mistakes and you, do, you have to watch the film and, and reassess why things happened. Um, but there's no time to dwell and, and feel sorry for yourself. Um, I mean, we knew Germany was a really good team and we knew that they would be medal contenders. So that first game, it was like, okay, we, we, on, we honestly believed we could cause an upset, but when it didn't go away, it was, that's fine. It's one game. We had our sights set on GB, knowing that we, you know, stood a good chance there and we wanted to steal some points there. Um, and again, like it just didn't quite fall for us on the day, uh, for various reasons. Um, but again, the, the true disappointment came after, uh, the Holland game where really then we, we didn't really have a chance out of the group. Um, but yeah, you, you can't dwell. You have to set your sights forward. You have to learn from your mistakes and just move on to the next one. What is that experience like playing against Britain in an Olympic Games? This could have been a team that you could have been on, Oliver. Like you, if things had gone a certain way, you could have been on that playing against Canada. Like I, I can't imagine that's a slightly odd experience for someone like you with ties, obviously, to both countries. Yeah, it was cool. And that was actually my first time playing against them in my whole career. Um, so it was cool. It was it was, as I said, like a game that we had our sights set on and we really wanted to to cause an upset there and take some points. Um, 
I mean, I, I didn't actually know anyone on the Tokyo team. Um, one of my teammates, his cousin actually plays uh, for GB as well. So they had that whole family connection as well. Um, so but yeah, it was a fun match. Party. It was definitely a fun yeah. match. Which, I mean, I guess after then sort of you get to all those games, obviously the disappointment of knowing that you can't make it through there, that last game against South Africa, does that then turn into a place of, okay, well, this hasn't turned out how we want to do, but we're up against a team that we should be beating because you're ranked ahead of them in the world. Uh, I mean, did that all just kind of, that last match, you kind of weirdly treat it like a, a final to see you can leave the, the tournament, I guess, uh, you know, you know, with a, with a win? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was, you know, I think majority of it was pride wanting to end on a win and end on a, on a high note. Um, and then rankings points come into it too. Um, because that match actually did mean something for us in terms of rankings points and, and the future. So it, it was nice to have a meaningful match. It wasn't just a throwaway at the end. Cause they had beaten Germany, hadn't they? They'd done what you guys thought you could do in that first game. And they came out of, you know, seemingly nowhere to all of a sudden knock off, you know, the all powerful Germans. Man, they they had a great tournament. They've got some really really skilled, quick young guys up front. Um, yeah, they had a, a fantastic tournament. So it, it was a great match between us as well, and we finished four all with a a late equaliser. Um, so it could have gone either way. So in terms of now, what happens ahead of Paris? I believe there's a very quick turnaround. Like, are you not playing Olympic qualifiers already? Essentially very soon and also world cup qualifiers. So like you kind of come home from Tokyo and you've always got to automatically got to switch focus to like world cup and, and Olympic qualifiers. Right. Yeah. We had, we took about six weeks off completely off pitch out of the gym mental break. Um, but we've already been back training. So world cup qualifiers are in January for us. Wow. Wow. That quick. And does it, how does it work with the Commonwealth games next year? Does that just purely based on, on rankings or is there a separate Commonwealth games qualifying tournament? Uh, I think that's rankings. So we're in regardless. Right. Um, and yeah, that's next. What is that next? August, I think July, August yeah, time, June, July, August period, sort of that period. There was recently the time of recording this, at least it was just 300 days ago, which is that something you kind of look at? I mean, how do, how do generally players look at a Commonwealth games? Is that something that you all strive for? Is it sort of down the tier a little bit when it comes to, or do you personally go, okay, well, I've done a Pan Ams, I've done an Olympics, you, you know, now it's time to tick off a Commonwealth games on my bucket list. Yeah, I think, I think it, it is more of a fun tournament um often what well, yeah it doesn't mean anything in the past it hasn't meant anything for rankings points um so for us a lot of times it's it's you know a multi-sport game during a village although this year it won't be um but yeah it's just a fun tournament to play and you play some really good teams um and then yeah for me it's it's a tournament I've never done. So I haven't played in the Commonwealth before. And then the added bonus is that it's in Birmingham this coming year. So hopefully a lot of my friends will be able to travel up, people I grew up with, um, just having that that whole connection as well. Which will be, you know, that added home element, of course, with it there too. So, yeah. And I mean, I'm guessing the obvious question is Paris is the goal though long-term for you. Like, do you, do you see yourself sticking around, like going towards Paris, LA, Brisbane, come to Australia, all over. Like, I mean, kind of, do you sort of still have long, long-term aspirations to remain on, on the squad for as long as you can, or do you sort of set yourself a an end goal? Like, okay, Paris, I, I think I'll, I'll hang up the stick after twenty twenty four. Good question. I, I don't really know. Uh, Paris, Paris for sure. I'm going to try my hand at that. Um, 
you know, it's only three years away and I'm still feeling, feeling good with how I'm playing. And I, I like, I mentioned that we got a new coaching staff last year. I like the way that the team is moving and I like the way that they handle it. So, um, Paris for sure. And then we'll cross the next bridge when we get there. A couple of things I want to get to before we close out with a series of uh, fun questions, just to, to end this interview. One project, basically how we got connected essentially Oliver was through a, through a project called racing to zero, uh, which I'm actually very intrigued to learn a, a little bit more about this. T- tell us a little bit more about the, the project you're involved in, what, what it aims to achieve and kind of how people can maybe get a little bit more involved in this project. Yeah. Um, so racing to zero was a project, uh, a friend or now a friend, um, a guy called Shay Smith came up with and, it's a project within the IOC's Young Changemakers program, it's called. And he brought me on to help it. So Shay's a two-time Olympian um, in London for athletics. So he's a 100-meter sprinter. And then he was actually in the bobsled in Pyeongchang. Um, so the project, the whole idea of it is to try to increase sustainability of sports, particularly at the grassroots level and starting with track and field events. Um, we're based in Calgary cause that's where Shay, you know, grew up competing. Um, and, and the three main pillars that we have is to one, reduce plastic waste and, and overall waste at these events Two, to increase kind of the innovation around how to make track meets more sustainable, more environmentally friendly from kind of an organizer's perspective. And then three to educate the athletes the volunteers, the supporters, um, the spectators on how they can change their kind of uh, their habits and all that to make everything a bit more environmentally friendly. And how how did you get involved in the project? Did, did, did Shay ask you? Did you kind of track this down yourself, think this is something that I would like to be a part of? Yeah, Shay, Shay sat on the Athletes Commission um, for the COC, as did one of my teammates, Mark. So he kind of put it out to to all the other representatives of like, if you know anyone that would be interested, uh, send them my contact details. So Mark told me and we got connected. Right. And it seems, I mean, it seems like outside of sort of playing the sport, going to the Olympics, doing this sort of stuff, you're obviously very heavily involved in, I guess, these great causes, you know, promoting the sport in Canada, you know, joining Racing to Zero, this sort of stuff. Obviously, something that's very important for you is kind of doing a lot more for people out there outside of just hitting hitting a ball every four years at an Olympic Games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, environmental uh, concerns and sustainability has always been a passion of mine, and that's kind of where my career is. Uh, heading outside of hockey. Um, but yeah, also just like, I, I personally have experienced so much pleasure from sport and had so many amazing opportunities because of it that I want other people to also experience that. And then in a sustainable way, um, just tying in that other kind of passion or interest of mine. Now, I usually close out by letting people plug whatever they want, but just while we're on the topic of racing, does there, if people want to get involved, find out more information, like where can they go? Where can they head to? Yeah, so the website is racingtozero.ca. Um, we are we've just finished our first season where we actually were measuring and, and applying these principles and educating. Um, so we're hoping to, I mean, it's such small scale at the, at the moment, but we're hoping to grow. So right now it's it's track meets in Calgary, 
but you know in the years to come we're hoping to expand across the country across the world and into different sports to kind of create this framework for how to make sports more sustainable on every single level Great, fantastic, great initiative there. And yeah, Racing Zero at CA, people should uh, check it out. One thing before I get to these questions as well, I believe you collect money. Is this true? Uh, is this something that when you go to different places, you collect uh, different foreign currency? And if so, how, how, did, how does this start? Oliver, I'm always intrigued how people start a collection. <laughs> this started, it is true. I try to keep you know one note or one piece of currency from any country I've, I've played in or traveled to. Um I think it just started, I got back from a tour and I had, you know, some leftover change in my wallet and I said, okay, I'll put that in the box of memorabilia. And then the next one I had some more, I was like, okay, I'll throw that away. And now it's just become a thing. So I try to keep it one piece of currency from each of the countries I travel to. What's the best currency you've got? Like, have you got one uh, particular favorite? Uh... I don't think so. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Have you got Australian note? Do you, do you need I an do. Australian one? You do. I do. I played a season in Melbourne in 2014. Great. Great. Good city to go to. I, I I may not be from there, but I still stand by that's the uh, the best city in, in Australia. So do you do you just walk away with a sneaky fiver, or do you kind of go all out and you have a nice green one hundred dollar note? <laughs> no, I try to keep it as small as possible. <laughs> right, you're just sitting sitting on like all these hundred dollar bills, or yeah, you know, like, it's not it's not like there's a shoebox in storage that's worth a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> Ten thousand US dollars or something like yeah. that, sitting on it like that. Yeah, uh, now, we we close it out with a series of uh, fun sort of get to know you style questions. Now, uh, these were a Team Canada questionnaire that were given to to you guys ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang, and we. I don't think these were like we know you all do sort of like a media day before you go there and are given a lots of interviews and things like that, but we haven't found out whether or not Team Canada actually gave these questions to you ahead of Tokyo. Maybe just didn't publish it on the website. We don't know, but essentially these are just a random get to know you style. There is a drawing element to it, but we're not going to ask you to draw. I mean, you can if you really want to. We've had a couple <laughs> of people do it, but uh, that's entirely up to you. So I'm going to start off by asking you what is your favorite ever Olympic moment? Favorite ever Olympic moment. Um, I'd say I'm gonna have to stick to my Canadian roots here, and it was the uh, the golden goal. So Sydney. for those of you who don't Sydney know, Cosby, I should say Sydney Crosby. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. I say Sydney when it comes to Olympics, people automatically think I'm going back to 2000, but no, no, Sydney Crosby. Sydney's different in Canada than (laughs) Australia. Oh, wow. Exactly. Yeah. You know, kind of, kind of works that way. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Uh, I think I'd be able to fly. Yes. That'd be good, good mode of transport and a bit of fun as well. I think it would actually work in a game of hockey, right? Like you could be having the ball and just like scare the shit out of the defender coming towards you. You just all of a sudden leaped up. They're going to be looking at her and then you quickly flick it off and then all of a sudden distraction tactic, boom, goal. Like it works. (laughs) You're welcome. You can use that one. Uh, Your favorite sports movie is? Um, I think growing up it was The Mighty Ducks. Yes. This makes me sound like such a big ice hockey fan, which I'm really not, actually. But, but <laughs> the Mighty Ducks is a, a fantastic movie. Absolutely. I mean, I'm just trying to think if there's any field hockey movies. I don't think there are any. No, there's a documentary about, yeah, there's documentaries, but no, no movies. 
Yeah, I'm trying because we often always equate it then to James Bond, like as James Bond played it, but James Bond hasn't even done field hockey. He sort of did ice hockey in Fear Eyes only, he just kind of took on a couple of players, but um Eh, maybe it's in Bond 25. We haven't seen it yet, at least at the time of recording this. Um, your funniest childhood memory is? Uh, oh, my goodness. Funniest childhood memory. I'd say, well, yeah, I, I, I can't really think of any. <laughs> Too many? <laughs> had such a funny childhood? <laughs> kind of works that way. That's all right. Some of these questions are like, this was obviously a written question in it, so people can obviously sit there and think for a little bit. These I don't think are designed for podcast hosts to ask on the spot. Like, there's one which I never <laughs> ask because it's always too difficult. It's your favourite song lyric. And it's kind of like, well, unless you've got a go-to song lyric, who's going to have that ready to go, right? Like, it's kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very kind of, you know, that way. Um, speaking of music, at least, your favourite pump-up song is? Pump-up song? Um, I'll typically throw on anything by either j cole or drake nice any of their kind of more upbeat songs will get me going is it a case of do you as a team sort of when you're in the the change rooms for a game do you do you each take it in turns of of getting on the ox and putting on some tunes or is like captain's choice or is it no music like we're, we're here to we're here to talk we don't we don't need to put any music to pump us up no we have music um it typically falls to whoever brings the speaker with them. Right. <laughs> uh, and that'll end up being kind of, so it was one guy for a while. And then I think he got tired of like the pressure of choosing good songs. <laughs> so he passed it on to, to another guy. Um, but yeah, they're, they're favorites. Definitely people know the team, the team favorites, the hits that get what played. Is the team hit? What is, is, is there one song that the Red Caribou is like, it's the Red Caribou anthem. <laughs> so I'll tell you what, there's there's um there's a song called Tsunami. I have no idea who it's by. It's like a kind of electro type yep. drum and bass type song. I know the song. Um, yep. And so we played that. I don't know where it started, but it it did. We played it before we played it before a match, and everyone gets standing up, grabs like a stick and like I don't know, a rubbish bin or their shin pads and just bangs them together. As the song goes along and everybody's jumping up and down, that's kind of, we did that before the final of a tournament in Malaysia in 2019. (laughs) We got so rambunctious that somebody actually smashed the door, like was opening (laughs) and closing the door together and smashed it closed so hard that it, it... locked itself and we couldn't get out of the changing room oh wow <laughs> so one of our coachings one of our coaches had to kick the door down to let us out onto the pitch <laughs> and from that moment on tsunami was banned before game <laughs> <laughs> no it's the, it's the go-to play last song before we go on the pitch that's epic i love that wow so cool oh great great answer um the most recent tv show that you binge watched was outer banks on netflix ah. Right. What did you think of it? Oh, I love it. Love <laughs> it's, it. it's teen drama at its absolute best. That's all we want, right? Teen drama, yeah. the best ones, you know, kind of uh, goes that way. Uh, what is your least favorite food? Least favorite food? Um, I mean, I don't, I like the taste of pretty much everything, but I don't really eat much meat anymore. Right. Um, so I guess maybe from an ethical standpoint, I have to say that one. 
Okay, that works. I was going to say, like, is that sort of like that choice? Is it health reasons, things like that? It, yeah, so- more, more sustainability reasons. Um, Be honest, though. Are there some times when you just go, shit, I really want a steak? Like, is it kind oh, of- yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm by no means, I'm not vegetarian. I'm not, like, strict <laughs> on this. If, if the situation lends itself, I'll, I'll happily eat meat. But it, it's more about where it comes from and the practices to, to get it. Your favourite chip flavour? is like crisps yeah uh barbecue oh nice good one do you, do you get involved in the the whole ketchup you know all season dress whatever they're called over there like uh, yeah i i don't hate them i like them um yeah. i wouldn't be like i wouldn't choose it but if it's there i'll eat it kind of like Vegemite here right like you know I, I the reason I lived in no. Canada secretly is I got deported I just I just don't like it <laughs> you may have just answered the previous question mom I, uh, I can't do that that's yeah. my favorite food other <laughs> yeah it's a select taste. like I don't, I don't get this whole notion in this country where it's like oh, if you don't like Vegemite you're not Australian I'm like have you eaten Vegemite it tastes like shit <laughs> um, like, I'm Australian yeah, and I can yeah, say yeah. that I'm not even I'm not going to defend that I'm crap pretty. um if you weren't an athlete what would you be Um, I mean, I'm, I'm working towards a career in kind of social finance. Um, so investing, impact investing, investing to companies with kind of a, a social goal or mission driven companies. Um, so I'd say I probably would have put a bit more focus into that. Fantastic. That works. Uh, your favorite vacation spot is anywhere where I can surf. Anywhere you can surf. Oh, right. Okay. So you would have loved coming to Australia then. That was just an excuse. Like, yeah, bugger hockey. I'm going surfing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I only got him once and it was actually in Adelaide. I went to visit a friend oh. in Adelaide. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I grew up surfing. So anywhere I can get to nowadays is a good time. Got a great spot in Tassie called Shipstern's Bluff, which I'm sure as a surfer you've probably heard of. But uh, it's it's a very famous spot, and uh, yeah, I think it's one of the best breaks in the world. I think Kelly Slater will often just get a helicopter and just fly himself down there for, as you do. Why not? Just a Thursday, getting a getting a chop. Let's go to Tassie. Let's uh, let's kind of yeah. do that one. Um, what's something that people usually describe you as? Um, probably. I don't know, energetic or something. Good word. That works. That, that I like that. Uh, and I'll say the other, the last ones. This is a drawing one. So if, you, if you're bored one day, Oliver, you can draw a picture of one of your teammates and draw a picture of yourself. And uh, just looking at the drawings here on <laughs> this uh, questionnaire, questionable drawings. But uh, anyway, uh, before we let you go, if people want to follow your journey, people want to stay up to date with uh, what you're doing, uh, social media, anything along those lines, that people can kind of stay up to date with your journey towards Paris. Yeah, Twitter and Instagram both is um, at O Schofield. Easy, done. Well, we'll tag that obviously in the post when we put this up. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure to learn more about you, learn more about all the great things that you're involved in and, and everything around your Olympic experience and that too. We look forward to seeing you in Paris. And uh, I, I, I thought I would never say this against the, the kookaburras, but bugger, I'm going for it. Go Red Caribou. I, I like this kind of uh, notion that come <laughs> Paris when we're covering it, we're, we're covering the hockey. We can, we can instead of just going, oh, Team Canada, no, the Red Caribou did this. So go Red Caribou. great well thank you so much for having me on it's a pleasure
And a massive, massive thanks there to Oliver for his time learning a lot. And, uh, yeah, I'm never going to listen to the song Tsunami now without wanting to break a couple of doors. So uh, next time I'm in Malaysia, perhaps maybe I just need to crank it up a little bit loud and, and break a door to keep up with some traditions there. So big thanks to Oliver. Great to learn more. And the great uh, outside activities, outside of hockey, things that he's involved in as well. So by all means, check out some of the great stuff that he is doing. Now, uh, before we let you go, this is that part of the show where obviously I give you all the standard stuff, the, the great stuff where I say listen to the show more. It's great. We love you listening. Subscribe to the show, give us a rating, go to all those podcast platforms, type in off the podium, you'll find us there. Social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you'll find us there. It's the stock standard conclusion to a show, but I wouldn't be a podcast host if I didn't do that. So by all means, check us out on all those platforms up to date. If you've missed any of our great interviews or great episodes in the past, you can find them all on there. And we've got so many great ones to come as well. Not that this wasn't great, not that the next one's going to be great or the past one's going to be great, but we've still got plenty of great ones still to come. This just what I've got to say right now. We get so close to Beijing. You can sniff it. You can sniff the Olympic flame. It's nearly lit again. So get excited for that. We've got some great winter athletes as well as summer athletes to keep you entertained in the lead up to those games. And our 200th episode is so close. You can taste it. You can sniff it. You can breathe it. It's just getting around the corner. Always great to have an episode where we have best ever clip show. And you find all the, uh, the great interviews and everything else in between. So stay tuned for our 200th episode just around the corner as well. Big thanks again to Oliver. Big thanks to you for listening at home. My name is Ben. A special shout out to Jason Momoa, of course. And as always, go left. What an episode. You loved every single second of it. It's been, again, just quickly reminding you once again, if you want to help us win a Sports Podcast Award, sportspodcastawards.com, register to vote, click on Best Olympic and Paralympic Podcast section, listen to the other nominees, and then go, hey, off the podium's awesome. They're so good. They put in so much work and so much effort, and we just love them, and they deserve to go on the podium for once. Ben's awesome. Jared's awesome. Colin's okay, but he's also kind of awesome. We'd really appreciate it. And particularly if you've actually listened to the rest of this and ended up here, because generally I assume you've well and truly tuned out by now. But seriously, if you're at this point of the podcast, then you're a true listener. And that means that you're a true fan and you should vote for us. Sportspodcastawards.com. Do it now. We will thank you forever. Literally ever. Like every episode moving forward, we will thank you forever. Sportspodcastawards.com. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll speak to you next time on Off the Podium. I'm I'm really going to go now. Bye.